Our text for this morning is the Gospel lesson that was read just a few moments ago, Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36, on the back of your bulletin, and I would encourage you to keep that out and be looking at it as we work our way through it. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, in the Bible, there are lots of great things that happen on mountains. Uh, Noah and his ark uh, came down on Mount Ararat, and remember it was on that mountain that he went out and built an altar, and then on that mountain, of course, uh, also God gave to him the promise of the rainbow. And think of Mount Moriah. That was a mountain on which uh, uh, Abraham took Isaac, and he had been called by the Lord to sacrifice that boy. And it was there that he learned that God is Jehovah Jireh. In other words, he is a God who rescues at the last moment. Because remember, in that scene, just as Abraham is ready to plunge the knife into uh, Isaac, uh, God shows him a ram over here in the bushes. And, and uh, Abraham came away from that mountain saying, God is Jehovah Jireh, which means in Hebrew that he is a God who rescues, like I just said, God who rescues, but often at the very last moment. And then, of course, think of Mount Sinai, where uh, Moses went up on that mountain and received the Ten Commandments, brought those back, plus lots of other laws to the people of Israel. Or think of Mount Carmel, where uh, Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal about who was really God and showed them that their God, Baal, was uh, really not God at all. And so you have all of those places in the Old Testament Lots of big things happening on mountains. And when you come into the New Testament, you find the same thing. Jesus preaches his first sermon on a mountain. Doesn't tell us the name of that mountain, but preaches his first sermon on the mount, the Sermon on the Mount. And then, of course, several times you run into the Mount Olivet. And that's right outside of Jerusalem. And uh, that's where the Garden of Gethsemane was. And that's where the little town of Bethany was. And, and that's the place from which Jesus ascended into heaven, Mount Olivet. And, of course, there's Mount Calvary, also a part of the Jerusalem complex and all that happened there by our Lord crucified there. Our text for today takes, a, takes place on a mountain, on Mount Hermon. And something happens there that never happened before. And it is called the Transfiguration. And the Transfiguration was really a blessed gift coming from God himself. It was first of all a gift to Jesus. And secondly, it was a gift to his disciples. And thirdly, it is a gift to you and me. And so that's what we want to look at today. What the transfiguration meant to those who experienced it firsthand and what it also means to us today. And we pray God's blessing upon my speaking and your hearing. Now our text begins about eight days after. And as you read that, then you have to ask the question, eight days after what? Eight days after what? Well, eight days after Caesarea Philippi and what happened there. Remember, that was the starting point of Jesus' last journey down to Jerusalem. That's where Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? What are the crowds saying about me? And the disciples answer, well, some are saying you're a great prophet. Some are saying you're Jeremiah. Some are saying that you're John the Baptist return. And then Jesus says, but what do you say about me? And it was Peter who spoke for the whole group and said, thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. Well, it was after that that Jesus told the disciples what was going to happen in Jerusalem, how he was going to be arrested and how he would be tortured and go through trials and finally how he would be crucified and then how he on the third day would rise again. And then after telling them those things, then Jesus went on to make another call to them in terms of discipleship. 
And he said to them, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so it was eight days after all of this, eight days after Peter's confession, eight days after his predictions about the future, eight days after this call to discipleship, after eight days after all of these things is when our text takes place. He and the disciples now are on their way to Jerusalem. His last journey, like I said, to that city. And as they're going along, he's already knowing the cruel and momentous things that are going to be happening there. And you can be sure that in those moments where they weren't talking or discussing or whatever, that those things that were going to happen must have been coming into his mind. And he was thinking about those things and thinking about those things and thinking about those things until finally he has to go to his father about all of these things are going to be. And he goes to his father in prayer. And he takes the three disciples with him on to the mountain, the Mount Hermon. And that's where this praying time will be. And so it is in response to now Jesus praying. It is in response to what's going on in his, whole heart, in his own heart and soul that what happens, happens. Well, his praying now foreshadows Gethsemane. The burden is not yet so great as it would be in Gethsemane. But it's still there. And he's wondering, you see, what's really ahead. And you can imagine, because of the prayer in Gethsemane, you can imagine what's now going through his mind too. And you can imagine that he's thinking, is this really the only way that can be? Is this really my Father's will? Is the cross the only possible way that salvation can come about? Is this the right time? Is this the hour, the last hour? And will he give me the strength to go through what I'm going through? You see, Jesus is very human. And so all of these things would be going through his mind, just like in Gethsemane. Father, be thy will. Remove this cup from me. And so here already the struggle is beginning. And he comes onto the mountain to pray. And it is while he is praying that suddenly what happens, happens. And it comes as response to his praying. What happens now is God speaking to him, speaking to him. This is a gift that God is giving him now in response to his praying all of these things. And see what it says. It says, the appearance of his face, his face changed and his clothes became as bright as the flash of lightning. lightning. And Matthew says it this way, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And Mark puts it this way, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And suddenly Jesus, you see, is bathed in the glory of heaven. Suddenly he is engulfed in the, in the brightness of the divine. And it said suddenly his deity shines forth in all of its splendor. And then all of a sudden, there are these two men who are beside him, Moses and Elijah. And suddenly heaven is present here on earth. The light of heaven, the brightness of heaven, the glory of heaven, and even two figures who come out of heaven are here. And then they talk to Jesus, and look what they talk to him about, because this is so important. They spoke to him about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. 
And in that little sentence, there's a whole lot of revelation. And by the way, you see Elijah and Moses being there, that's testimony, of course, that there is life after death. And their being there is testimony also that there is heaven, that there is indeed that they are alive in heaven. And they return from there. And note this too. Note what they're talking to him about. They're talking to him about his departure. They're not talking to him about his death. They're talking to him about his departure. And there's another word that is used in the New Testament, you see, for death. Now, we know that death is often returned to as, referred to as a sleep, but here it is referred to as a departure. From this side of heaven, we call it death, or we call it falling to sleep. From that side of heaven, from the other side, they look at it as departure. And so they're seeing the leave the uh, death as a leaving of this life, as a leaving of what's here in order to enter into the glory of heaven. So death is departure from here to go to there. And that's what they are talking to him about. So that's very significant that the scriptures say they're not talking to him about his death. They're not talking to him about falling asleep. They're talking about his departure, his departure. huh? And also notice that it says here, that they're talking about that and all that's going to happen, this is fulfillment of what has been prophesied. See the words to bring this to fulfillment in Jerusalem. That Jesus is not going to be a victim once he gets there. He is going to lay down his life. He's going to give his life as a ransom. And all the things that have been foretold in the Old Testament are now going to fulfill, be fulfilled when he gets to Jerusalem. And they're talking to him about this that all of that's going to happen is going to be fulfilling all the prophecies that Elijah brought, I mean, that Elijah brought, that Isaiah brought, that Jeremiah brought, that all of the prophecies of the Old Testament are now going to be fulfilled once he gets to Jerusalem. And those are the things that they are talking about. And as they talk to him about these things, what they're doing, they are confirming to him that the way he is going is indeed the way of the Father, and the way he is going and what's going to happen is indeed really a fulfillment of prophecy as it has been brought in the Old Testament. So they are confirming to Jesus that what's going to be is intended to be. And then all of a sudden, while they're talking to him, you see, there is more to come, more affirmation to come. And the more affirmation is in the cloud. The cloud comes. And that's not just any cloud. That, of course, is the Shekinah, you see. And that, growl, that great cloud had been uh, present at the Exodus when God led his people out of Egypt. That cloud had been there at the dedication of the temple. Remember that under Solomon? That cloud had been there when uh, Jesus was baptized. The voice had come out of the cloud. So that cloud was a sign of the presence of God. And so now Moses and Elijah there, they're talking about uh, what's uh, going to happen and confirming for him and affirming for him and now the cloud comes and then all of a sudden out of the cloud comes the voice of the father this is my son in whom I whom I have chosen listen to him so you put all of these things together and you ask why did all of these things happen at this particular time while Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem all of these things are happening to strengthen him for what's going to be ahead to affirm to him and confirm to him that what is ahead was indeed part of the plan of salvation. So the transfiguration, first of all, is a wondrous gift to Jesus himself. And 
he now will be more ready to go to Jerusalem even than before. For all of this is going to strengthen him and renew him and encourage him. And he's going to leave here now confident that he's going in the right direction. But it's not only a wondrous gift to Jesus, it is also a wondrous gift to the disciples. This foreshadows Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, they're going to see him flat on the ground. They're going to see him with his face in the dirt. They're going to see him in anguish. They're going to see him sweating blood. And then they're going to see him arrested and abused. And they're going to see him accused and condemned. And they're going to see him mocked and whipped. And they're going to see him stumble along the Via Dolorosa until he finally falls in weakness. And then they're going to see him crucified, nailed to the cross. And in all of that, they're going to forget this scene. They're for temporarily going to forget the transfiguration. But at least at this moment, they get a glimpse of who he really is. That finally, what all of this says to them is this. He is God. He indeed is very God, a very God. This village carpenter that you've been following now for three years is really God himself. And you see him in all of his majesty. And you see him in all of his, uh, uh, the light of heaven itself, the awesomeness of God. The scene is so overwhelming and such a beautiful, wondrous scene that Peter wants it to last forever. And so he says, Jesus, let's, let's freeze this moment. Let's make this last forever. So overwhelming, so wondrous, so beautiful. Let's make this last forever. We'll build, we'll build tents for you and Moses and Elijah. Didn't make any sense. Didn't know how he would do it. But that was his reaction. That was his response at this moment. Didn't realize it at the moment, but they would realize it later. That they were being introduced to the resurrection. That here in a few days, the resurrection would come. And what they had seen here was an introduction to that. And later they would realize too that this also added to their foundation of faith. It was a tremendous blessing to them. And so as they, as Jesus left this scene renewed and strengthened and encouraged, they also would leave this scene strengthened, renewed, and encouraged. Like I said in the beginning, this was a gift not only to Jesus, it was a gift not only to the disciples, it was also a gift to you and to me. Why is the transfiguration recorded here? Because the Lord wants you and, you and me to realize the significance of it. It is a gift to you and to me. Because it tells us once again who Jesus is. And that's why this text, this gospel lesson, comes on the last Sunday of Epiphany. Remember what Epiphany is all about? Epiphany is that season of the year that comes right after Christmas. In which we're asking the question, who really is that babe of Bethlehem? And all during the Epiphany season, we've been hearing these gospels, which in one way or another pointed us to the fact that he is indeed true God. And so on the last Sunday of Epiphany comes the greatest demonstration of that, the transfiguration itself. 
the very majesty of God is pointed to. We have this great, great, wondrous event. So that as we look at the transfiguration, we remember the Nicene Creed, that he is God of God and light of light and very God of very God. He's the one Moses prophesied as the, as the great prophet. He is the servant that Isaiah talked about. He is righteousness come, as Jeremiah talked about. All of these things are pointed to here in the transfiguration. And so here, for the last time in the Epiphany season, the babe of Bethlehem, the transfiguration, so to speak, unwraps the babe of Bethlehem and unwraps that boy in Nazareth and unwraps that Mary and Joseph's son and unwraps the village carpenter and unwraps the itinerant preacher and teacher and unwraps the miracle worker and says, that one is God and come. And he's come for one reason, to rescue us from sin and death and the devil. And as we realize all of those things, we should, see the, should leave the mount as those left it that day. We should leave it with our faith strengthened and our trust encouraged and our believing made sure and our witnessing even more confident. But there's one more thing here, one more thing, and it's tremendously irresponsible. And that comes in what the Father says right there. Because it shows us our responsibility. This is my beloved son, my chosen one. And then these words, listen to him. Listen to him. He says that to the disciples. But he also says that to you and me. This one who is God himself, come. Listen to him. Don't listen to the devil. He's going to try to mislead you. Don't listen to the world in its allurements. Don't listen to your own sinful flesh. Listen to him. When he talks to you about forgiving your brother, listen to him. When he talks to you about taking care of your, the least of your brethren, listen to him. When he talks to you about worship, listen to him. When he talks to you about prayer, listen to him. When he talks to you about tithing and giving, listen to him. When he talks to you about witnessing, listen to him. When he talks to you about serving, listen to him. When he says to you, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, listen to him. Listen to him. And then give to him your wholehearted obedience and your wholehearted love. And when you hear that, listen to me, or listen to him, then you have to ask yourself the question, am I listening to him? Am I? Well, the transfiguration it is a gift. A gift to Jesus, a gift to the disciples, and a gift to you and to me. And having received this gift, like I said a few moments ago, I pray that our faith will be strengthened, our trust will be encouraged, our believing made sure, and our witness even more confident. Amen.